Welcome to What Is Goat. I'm John Sevenapolis here as always with my co-host Jamie Fry. Yo, what up? What, what up? up? <laughs> Today we have a special guest, a New York musician, a prog rock enthusiast, and the host of the brand new contesting wrestling podcast, Evan Burke. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm in, I'm enthused. <laughs> well, the theme of today's episode was uh, concocted by Jamie, and I believe it is prog versus punk. So today we're going to examine two of the um, prevalent philosophies in rock and roll, one being punk rock and the other being progressive rock. So you have the inception of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The basic thesis of that would lead to the big boom of the 60s, which we're all familiar with, the Beatles and Stones and whatnot. Around the 1970s, a new philosophy emerges called progressive rock. Originally, uh, symphonic rock was used to describe bands that were using more classical influence, more jazz influence, sometimes European folk. These are mostly British bands. Probably the biggest band you've heard that is described as prog would be Pink Floyd. Whether they're actually prog or not, who is to say? But there's a philosophy where bands can take the music further by incorporating more sophisticated influences outside of rock and roll by using longer song length that are more episodic and operatic in nature. Maybe something like the Who's Tommy would be a precursor. Imagine the Who in 1964, bashing out three-minute songs. A few years later, Pete Townsend is writing an opera with a suite and an overture and whatnot. So... By the time you get to the 70s, there are some very, very popular bands. Yes, Supertramp, King Crimson, that are using song lanes that are 15 minutes, lots of solos, lots of improvisation. Around the time Joey Ramone emerged, he believed that rock and roll needed to be saved from this concept. He said, yes, and Supertramp are ruining rock and roll. And essentially, punk, in its thesis, was returning to that three-minute bashing that made Chuck Berry so great, plus many other attitudes that would be an elaboration on the fringe culture, the rebellious nature of early rock and roll, which was about being a freak and about expressing yourself in a way that was not necessarily considering the norm or the status quo. On the other hand, these progressive music musicians are pretty strange, and this music is very, very weird to me. <laughs> and to the average listener, I would say. Prague is popular music that a lot of people like to take the piss out of. Now, I brought Evan Burke here, <laughs> because Evan and I have been friends for a very long time, and we have a lot in common, but our slants and rock music are extremely different, and he is someone who really understands progressive rock, which I admittedly do not. John... What are your what is your background in progressive rock? I have very little knowledge of progressive rock and the bits of associations I have with it are exclusively negative. <laughs> so we'll see. We did a lot of research today. I know a lot more today than I did a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know that my opinion has changed all that much. I'm a lot more informed. You and I grew up as kids and uh, young adults listening to a lot of punk especially classic punk not a lot of progressive rock now i think it's important to think of it this way that punk rock is great music for going out and taking drugs and seeing people too but some of us 
want to take drugs and then just stay in for the night. <laughs> okay? And we deserve music too. And that's the root of my thesis statement. No. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I really actually understand, even as somebody who loves progressive rock and has since I was very young, I really understand a lot of the criticisms of it. It's an acquired taste. It often blurs the line between being challenging and being elitist. There are times when I feel like it is no less pretentious for somebody to make a punk song that doesn't really add anything to the conversation. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not a monster. I like The Clash. I can, <laughs> I can understand that there's great songwriting happening in The Clash. I feel like a lot of punk rock gets really samey. Mm-hmm. And I would also argue that even though at the time, especially in the 70s, uh, prog was incredibly popular, or at least some prog bands were incredibly popular. I think that punk rock has very much won both the cultural war <laughs> and and the money war. But I think that there is something about people crafting something, working unbelievably hard, possibly even too hard on something that I still really enjoy. I love it when people shoot for the moon even if it completely fails yeah. and it's a disaster, I I appreciate that. Covers especially on this playlist, man. Like this version of Lola. Like what even the fuck? <laughs> what even the fuck is this? Well, that's the, the raincoat. That's the seminal post punk band, the raincoat. <laughs> so you guys both talked about, um, you know, the sort of winners and losers, maybe in like a legacy sense and a cultural sense. I took a quick look today. Um, at Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. And I was curious as to like how these stack up in a very sort of status quo sense. There's only 10 prog bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and half of them are offshoots of Genesis. So it's it's a real small amount and there's a lot more, I don't know about numerically, but there's a ton more punk and punk uh direct influenced bands and there isn't like cross-pollination like that. There's this question of pretentiousness. For both a musician and a listener, prog music has a sort of high barrier for entry. The musicianship is very advanced and virtuosic, and the songs are very complex, which to both a musician and a listener can be alienating, whereas it would be really hard for anyone to listen to punk rock and be like, this is too high-minded for me. I started playing music when I was a teenager. I went to college for it. I, you know, uh, my experience as a musician and as somebody who likes to play sort of weird, complicated music is pretty, you know, I, I, I can't divide that from my experience as a listener, certainly. And then I also have to admit that growing up uh, in Lower Manhattan, growing up in New York City in the 90s and early 2000s is one of the only contexts in which somebody could grow up with the perception that punk rock was like a, the dominant cultural force in society and that all of my friends were really into punk rock and went to punk shows and I went to a bunch of shows at the Continental oh and stuff gosh. like that back in the day. Yeah. Seem- and New York at the time was still seemed thick with old punk rock guys everywhere. And I also, you know, I worked in rehearsal studios. To me, it felt weird that I was listening to my dad's favorite bands. Like, it's it was a strange situation where that felt rebellious in that context. I mean, I think, I think that you're onto something whereas that prog was more outsider music. This was the age of like the CBGB's t-shirt and the Ramones t-shirt being like tokens of cultural cachet. And there was a very clear delineation into the modern influence to the biggest bands, period, when we were teenagers were Blink-182 and Green Day. I mean, they were played alongside the Spice Girls on MTV. So this was part of the 
biggest portion of the mainstream for a long time. When we were talking about Zappa on the other episode, I don't know if this is, I don't have anything to back this up, but anecdotally in my life, it seems like fans of music like Prague are overwhelmingly musicians themselves. Whereas if you take any other genre of music, that's not necessarily true. There's tons of people who love hip hop and who can't rap. There's tons of people who love rock music who can't play an instrument. But I feel like if you were to survey a crowd at a Rush show, overwhelmingly they play something or they do something involving music. I would 100% agree with that. Prague definitely has a reputation as being music for musicians. And I think that that does happen sometimes. Um, I mean, you know, Dream Theater is a band I'm not here to defend. And, <laughs> Thank God. Uh, and they, they are a band I listened to when I was younger. And I, you know, wish I could get that time back. But, you know, what what are you going to do? Um, and I think, you know, and even, even they, I think, are earnest in what they are trying to do. I think that just for them, it is sort of about like how... You know how technical can we be? How crazy can I make this next part? I think part, all Prague like has to be earnest, right? Because there's nobody who's like sort of being calculating about like sure, this is going to be a fucking money maker. I mean, er, er, earnest and earnest in the sense of like I'm genuinely trying to communicate human emotion. Like, and I'm the, expressing myself. Yes, oh, okay. I'm expressing in myself way, in the way, yeah. and I just yeah. need to express myself in eleven sixteen. <laughs> like, and that's that's just that's what lives inside me. It needs to come out. And then and then guys who are like. Where it's almost more of an athletic thing, right. where it's more about, and you know, so, and there, I absolutely acknowledge that there is that. You could also look at it as saying that maybe it is a harder barrier for entry and maybe even overtly alienating for a lot of people, but then people who do get into it are so moved by mm. it that they too must right. learn how to play in 1116. Right. I think there's still a desire to reach out to people and to communicate with people, and it is not, it may seem like an intellectual exercise. And, but I think that for a lot of the guys doing it, like they are just genuinely strange people who genuinely like they're, they, you know, uh, and, and also maybe, you know, quiet, introverted nerds who lock themselves away and spend a lot more time practicing. And then that can have effects on you as, uh, on your personality and and your, and your musical style. Maybe because you're more of a fan, all this music is rather complex when compared to other kinds of music. But within that, you can say, well, there's a, a, a segment over here that's doing it for show, that's doing it to sort of test technical limits exclusively. And then there's a different segment that is simply in a more authentic way communicating in the way that they know how. So did you guys get a chance to listen to the playlist? Yes. Yeah. I really kind of wanted to just give you the stuff that I thought you would maybe enjoy. Uh-huh. And the band Vandergraaf Generator, uh, I think, is incredibly important. A very underrated band. Uh, were a huge influence on David Bowie. There is a interview with Johnny Rotten on British radio in '76 where he's talking about you know fuck Pink Floyd, fuck all these bands, and he specifically singles out Vandergraaf Generator as actually they're okay. <laughs> they we should keep around. Peter Hamill we should keep around. Their first album came out in 69. Their last album came out in 2017. They put them out pretty consistently since then. And I think that when you are just compulsively creating that much music, yeah, I think I, that comes from a a place of earnestness. I, I think for a lot of these guys, there's no real separation between their passion for the technical side of music and their passion for making music. That mm-hmm. for them, 
learning how to do all this stuff and learning, you know, uh, like it complex harmony and things like that is really just because they love what they're doing and they're trying to find a wider sonic palette mm -hmm. to put stuff out. And that is why I think that there's a lot of punk rock that, you know, probably my biggest issue with punk rock is that it seems very conservative, that it seems a lot of the times like it has a very deliberately limited sonic palette which is awesome in that it makes it accessible and also i mean i'm a raging socialist i'm all for the fucking for the diy you know uh music yeah. for the common man yeah. aspect of punk rock yeah. but then that also but then it's harder to, it's harder to differentiate yourself i'm glad you you brought it to this place because yeah. i i see it in a completely different way and i but i hear exactly what you're saying and it sure. makes perfect sense sure. it really does but what from my perspective, I've never been a fan of Prague, and I understand how, as a musician, you would think logically, this is a tool of the trade, why not master it, why not take it to its extreme? I understand that on a logical level, but I do not understand it on a gut level, because I think it's really about like your sort of artistic value system, and that whole thing, that whole way Prague is laid out of being a thing that can do that and achieve that, that seems like the opposite to me of what is good about music. Like, especially rock music, from what you're saying, like, oh, well, there should be more differentiation. I think it forces you to look closer and deeper at what those differentiations are. Because, oh, sure. like, listening to your prog playlist, like, it's very clear when one band is done and another band has begun. They're all wildly different because, like you're saying, there's a lot more on the sonic palette. But to me, it's like, if you can play the same three chords simply and i can play the same three chords simply and we can figure out a way that you and i are saying different things or making people feel different ways that's a little more nuanced to me not to mention just that i think like at its core i think rock music loses something when it goes that far like on a basic level of mm. if you play music as fast as some of these bands play music or in the time signature they they lose you lose a groove you can't move. You can't dance. Like you said, it's it's for a different thing, and I understand that. But when I go out and see a concert, the best concerts, the most fun I have is, I mean, on a basic level, it should be energized. You should come home sweaty. You should, it should be communal. It's all these things that I think are unifying, like you said, in almost a socialist way when you are in a small, shitty, sweaty club and there's people on stage who are not any better at playing their instruments than the people who are watching them. You know, I love like Howlin' Wolf, for example, and like every single song sounds exactly the same yeah. and that's why. That's the yeah. whole, that's the that's why you're going there for that. Yeah, but I, I do think that it, it reaches a certain mass. To be a nerd about something, this is something we talk about on my podcast a lot, to be a nerd for something means that you have a higher tolerance for the stuff that's not as good sure. and you have more patience to get in there and really learn mm -hmm. the differences between everything yeah. where you know yes. you can where you know your 20 bands that you love to you sound wildly different from yes. and then you play them for somebody else who's not as into it and they're going to be like what the you know why you are you just listening to the same band right. over and over and over again but i think about the, you know there's certain genres of music where the form is kind of everything like country music mm -hmm. is an amazing genre yeah. full of a lot of different personalities, but there's respect to the form mm -hmm. in country music. It's not about coming up with a new way to do the form. It's about putting a new vibe in the form, telling a new story within the form. Reggae is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And is there any wonder that punk has adopted 
parts of both of those yeah. genres. The simple form. There's a lot of country crossover and a ton of reggae crossover. Absolutely. Because not as much prog crossover. <laughs> The, the form becomes the entry sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You learn how to play a blues song, then you can yeah. write a blues then song. Then all of a you sudden know? you're playing the fucking right. blues. Yeah, that's what I you mean. You don't learn a Rush song and then you write a prog song necessarily. And and that is, and I want to say, like, I'm not shitting on that at all. Like, that is, yeah. that is a beautiful thing, the accessibility of punk. I think maybe the third song I learned how to play on guitar was Basket Case. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like everyone our everyone age. Everyone played that, right? Everyone Every single age, person yeah. our age. And so it's not about that. I guess it's it's just about it always seems strange to me the choice. Like sometimes like, you know, you go see bands and like these bands have been around for 40 years and I'm like, dude, like you still are kind of out of tune and like you still kind of can't play this. And I know that that sounds like a like a p- bit of pedantic nerdery, but it also was kind of like, man, like get your shit together, motherfucker. Well, like- <laughs> there's a line here. That's the thing. I think that we've been discussing what occurs on two sides of the line and the the really great moments in music transcend this quality. Prague, I think I have moments that I like, though aesthetically I would say I'm I'm anti-Prague. On some level, I think that there's something a little wrong with some of this music. <laughs> like there's something a little bit off. King Crimson are cool. I really hate Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I really hate that. I because think you said on another episode, right? I asked, like we were talking like, about. Like what do you like, not want right, to hear what's on like the radio? The thing you, oh, when we were just listening to the yeah. radio, right. What's the worst thing that could come on? And I think you said Owner and, of a Lonely Heart. And that is a song that I'm not I mean, to defend. And I mean, let, it's like a fun, catchy song, but it's not. That was very clearly Yes being like, hey, let's see if we can get paid in this way. Yeah. yeah. As I've gotten older, that doesn't bother me anymore. I used to be like, hey, that's fucked up. Now I'm like, yeah, do it It doesn't bother me, but it rarely makes for something really good. Evan made us a play let's see this is this was fun because we got to share right. some of our actual picks instead of uh coming in with like whatever your conception of a music you don't like yeah or exactly you yeah. don't listen to it so yeah. this was fun to like yeah. trade like that but you know your playlist was handpicked by someone who's gone through a lot of this what is the prog that people know it's the songs that you hate hearing round on the radio Roundabout, yes, Genesis, Owner Rush. of a Lonely Heart is yeah. one. Obviously, they play all the time. The Tom Dust Sawyer. in the Wind. I, first of all, I love Rush. Also, here, let me let me. I'm just saying, as somebody yeah. who has no prog, those are the things let, I knew. Let me yeah. lay down an opinion. I like Rush because they're not very serious because they're a fun. Absolutely. Group. Oh, I love. Yeah, Ru- yeah Rush, Rush are, just are a good time. Rush, Rush are, are like ACDC for yeah. prog. Yeah, they're no, fun. exactly. They Rush <laughs> are. Said that. Rush are working class. Yes. Let, yeah. let me tell you something. I I thought I hated all prog, and. <laughs> and I was listening to all this stuff on Evan's playlist, and then I listened to some other prog. And when I'm listening to uh, the radio, and you hear the Stones and ACDC, and then you hear Rush, it doesn't do it for me. And I'm like, this is wimpy and weird. And when I listen to all this prog music, and then I listen to Rush after it, I, ah, I thought the exact yeah. same thing. I thought, yeah. man, Rush are like heavy. <laughs> yeah. Rush are like ACDC. They rock, it rocks. Fun, yeah. right, when did, you hear it in that, it's like this is pretty fun. <laughs> did you did you enjoy any of any of the stuff? I did. Because I, w- I wanted to put some of yeah. the less known modern stuff because I also find, like, I like a lot of 70s prog. A lot of it, the criticisms are very accurate. I feel like the 80s were a very dark time, very dark time for progressive rock yeah. in general. Um, uh, you know, a lot, of the st- a lot of the music that I love from the 80s is either, like, very poppy yeah. or it's metal. Porcupine Tree, who I put on here, um, and the work of Stephen Wilson are pretty much the last, they were the last good 
prog band that wasn't also a metal band mm-hmm. and i think that now the two genres are pretty much inseparable yeah you know metal can get very boring i say that as somebody who's loved it for a long time and especially i think in the 90s new metal happened and we all you know just i guess just hated ourselves <laughs> and that's why it was popular and i feel like metal and progressive rock have been able to come together in the last 20 years to save each other. I'm not into the modern stuff, and the only thing I know less about than prog is metal, probably. So mm. it's it's like, it's just, on either front, it's like, just, not doing I it. know it's not for me. In terms of like your playlist, I immediately heard the Bowie through line of, I can't remember, Vandergraaf Generator. Vandergraaf Generator. I immediately heard like a Bowie and sort of Queen uh, analog there, so that was pretty interesting. I would say maybe the only band on there that I like genuinely really dug was the King, King Crimson stuff. Okay, and yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was cool, and I actually liked the stuff. I think, if I remember correctly, it was more like late seventies and eighties stuff that they did. Because yes. so when I listen to prog rock, I, I don't hear rock in it. Like just for some reason, when I hear it, it's like I hear the jazz influence, the classical. I hear all that, but I can't actually hear. Anything that reminds me of Chuck Berry. When I hear King Crimson, it almost reminded me more of like the beauty of like Brian Eno or something like that. It's more about ambience. It's more about like these sort of um, beautiful soundscapes than it is about like rocking. Well, I mean, you know, 80s Crimson was very much, you know, Robert Fripp uh, coming off of his collaborations with Brian Eno and then Adrian Ballou, who was in the Talking Heads and was going to basically be with them full time until Robert Fripp came to him and asked him to join King Crimson. And 80s Crimson is, yeah, basically like uh, a bit, uh, the talking heads, little bit of the police. sound like the police a lot. In as indulgent as it might be, and as sort of challenging as it might be, this was the music industry. This was a, this is a time when a lot of records were sold, and a lot of these groups were in big money and had to produce hits and records that moved so we're kind of talking about pop music here i think by the time it gets a little later and it it makes sense that it joins up with metal because that that need for pop music has dried up completely however it's like they sold a lot of records and they were played on the radio and in the 70s this was embraced by the mainstream for the most part more than a lot of stuff i also want to speak to your point john about uh you don't hear rock music in it and i will be honest like You're right in the sense that if you are saying, if your definition of what constitutes rock music is something that is rooted in, that's rooted in like the Chuck Berry style, is rooted in, you know, like uh, R&B and then rooted in when white people took R&B and made it a little less interesting. (laughs) That is absolutely true. But I think that that is why going back to the idea that punk to me feels like a kind of conservative genre is because that that is a very specific sound done at a very specific time that I feel like the people who did it at that time crushed it. And a lot of punk doesn't really seem to update it to me in a way that is meaningful. I see what you're saying, but I think you're 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 missing an entire swath, which is that like I think you could actually turn it the other way and to say that, you know, especially in terms of form, complexity, time signature, length. There's a lot that's still in common if you listen to a band like Opeth and then you listen to Genesis. There's a lot more that you can easily connect than you can for even a band like, say, The Clash 
and then like a year or two later the talking heads i mean to even say those two things are in the same genre is wild and then you have post-punk it, it evolves actually very quickly you get into the early 80s some of these things it's like aren't joy division or like new order like isn't that dance music i don't know i it's sort of punk i don't know it's not i feel like it's actually a bit more liberal in interpretation i'm gonna make a controversial statement I think that you are subject to the rules of music theory, the quote-unquote rules of music theory, whether you like it or not, and whether you choose to engage with it or not. Mm -hmm. And if you are somebody who listens to music, even if you know literally nothing about music, you don't know anything about how it's made, you don't know any of the technical stuff, you don't care about any of that, nor should you if you're somebody who enjoys music. None of that is important to enjoying it necessarily. But I think that if you hear stuff that is harmonically exactly the same all the time, it is going to bore you on some level. You won't understand why necessarily, mm -hmm. but I think that it, I, I, and I think it, I don't know, it's like eating the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to fuck up your palate after a while. Like, well, let me, let me um, lay down a, an opinion that is snobby on two levels. <laughs> oh, but, I'm so but excited. But this is basically how I, it's not kind to a lot of people out there, but here's how I feel now. I am I am a big fan of punk. Punk is important to me. The Ramones and the Clash. It's hard to find more formative music for me than the Ramones and the Clash, because I did not. I, I I'm still not good at any instruments. So punk is still a an entry to me because I never got good. But I've learned a lot about music from when I started listening to rock bands, and now I'm a 33 year old adult. The beginnings of punk is a lot of the best music that came out around then. So you have your American wave, maybe that starts with the proto-punk of MC5, which is an example of five white guys in Detroit who love Motown making that fucking extreme music. That's awesome. Then you have the Stooges, who were guys who liked blues and... Uh, early rock and roll and soul music, and then also got into Sun Ra and John Coltrane and did something that was alternately caveman and extremely high-minded. Then you have the Modern Lovers, which is Jonathan Richmond, who creates the protagonist who is very vulnerable and has naivete in a way that rock and roll had not seen. We had not seen a weak protagonist before. Mm -hmm. It's like almost like um, Holden Caulfield, whereas like we're kind of like exploring what kind of narrator we have. Why is Catcher in the Rye great? Same reason why the Modern Lovers record is great. He's giving us a different kind of personality that would be copied very much for New Wave. Ramones come out in 1976. Uh, Clash come out in 1977. Sex Pistols come out in 1977. By 1979, that wave is about done. A lot of these bands went into post-punk groups like the Sex Pistols, you know, we're done, and then John Lydon formed Public Image Limited, which I consider a very important group. That's an example. Post-punk happens in the early 80s. In my opinion, anything that resembles rock and roll that is good after 1980 acknowledges punk. Absolutely. Or is influenced by punk. The stuff that fucking sucks <laughs> is the stuff like... I think I said this in another episode. The Black Crows. Oh, hey, it's 1974. We yeah, don't know uh. what punk is. We're just going <laughs> to keep going along like fucking nothing happened. The reason that punk is so good is because it is saying that music is a freedom of expression. We are free 
to be as weird as Joey Ramone, a guy who probably could never get a regular job. He was too weird to hire as a fucking janitor, probably. You know, there's a lot, the outsider form, the political form of the clash, the, the political angle has a lot of pros and cons. In fact, a lot of punk suffers from being too message oriented and not music oriented. And I agree that that's boring. That's not a record you want to put on, but the ethos of the clash has followed me throughout my life and continues to be an inspiring thing. Um, and then here's my other snobby opinion. Here's part B is that most of the stuff that called itself punk after 1980 is not so good or is samey in the way that you're describing as boring. Now, as much as I'm like, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer or something is like beating me to death. Oh, yeah. Social I, distortion are also beating me to yeah. death by doing the formula. Like they made one record. Fine. You make another record. Fine. 30 years later, or even the guys in blink way Two, who are adult men who are like, you know, acting out this juvenile fantasy. That's the thing that went wrong in punk. But I don't think you're going to find any genre, any form where there isn't a segment where that's exactly the case. I mean, that can be said. There's always going to be someone just doing a retread of a formula, but I don't think that really speaks to on either side of the Unless equation. Unless it's a genre of music where the whole point is to progress <laughs> the style of music. But you know what? We were talking before we opened the mics. We were talking about the new Nick Cave record came out today. Nick Cave started as a crazy fucking punk as like yeah, the, the wildest most base, insane music the most ever base unlistenable punk the, yeah, the, the boys party, next door yeah. and the birthday party and even the early nick cave stuff is so punk rock and today he puts out a record that is 70 minutes of the most beautiful heartbreaking ambient piano balladry and i've seen Nick cave live we're talking about it he is still punk as fuck and he is embraced that way you go to a nick cave show it is punks in the audience yeah. so i think in any genre prog punk all the others you're gonna have segments that just do the same exercise and then you're gonna have the segments that try to take it as far as they can to be as experimental as they can to push as much as they can sometimes that's from a technical perspective but i don't think it has to it can be from an emotional perspective it can be from a lyrical or writing standpoint it can be from a a, a sort of communal perspective with your fans with your shows there's a lot of opportunity and i think just because music is technically simple doesn't mean that it's not emotionally complex or experimental in its production or aesthetics and no and you're right and I, I you know i don't mean to say that simple music it is like simplistic mm. or no, but that you're, simple you're music saying is, that it's I'm, redundant because it's a sort of you you described you described a conservatism and I, I understand what you're saying because I think that you're pointing out that there is a lot of redundancy. Like it's awesome when you're, you know, if you're a young person and you're getting into music and you pick up an instrument and you and your friends make a band that sounds like a shitty version of your favorite band. Like that's <laughs> awesome. That's and you should continue to do that. But I do think there reaches a certain point. <laughs> and this is this is true for any art, for any art form. There reaches a point where I I do think that you have a responsibility to ask yourself, why am I putting this out? And why should somebody consume this? I think it's a great point. I think that's a great argument against Prague. Me too. Just <laughs> yeah. Like, like Me why, too. like, like, oh, no, like, why I do I need to listen to more of this song? <laughs> really? Really? Because the tempo and rhythm has changed. Because a lot of stuff's going to happen at the end of that song. That Wait wasn't for it. At the beginning. Okay. I had to give you one really long. Yes. Song. Yes. 
the Gates of Delirium off of 1976's Relay. I the way that you guys are looking I made at it me, halfway through. You it was really long. Look very it was like upset. twenty minutes. Yes. Right? Oh yeah. Oh. Look, you had to do right. one. When you <laughs> get when you get to the climax of that song at sixteen minutes. I when I first heard that when I was a teenager, I shit my pants when I listened to it. And when I listened to it on the way down here for the millionth time in my life, I shit my pants again. That's why I had to change my pants when I got here. <laughs> like I do I love classical music. I love jazz. I think part of what is so powerful about those kinds of music is the way that they, you know, make an effort to take you on a journey. Sure, sure. sure. But this song that you're describing <laughs> is not a love supreme. Like, no. let's, let's get real here. Let's get no, real here. There's, there's something not. different. There's something in, inherently different about the way that this is expressed. Like, the way these great jazz guys are kind of so poetic. Mm-hmm. Sure. About, oh, yeah, about the way they do this. Whereas when these British guys do it, it's so academic. I think that the thing that John and I are missing in a word is passion. Yes. I don't hear passion in the same yes. way. I think that this as is... As a love supreme. Or, or Marquis <laughs> yeah. Moon. I, th- I think that this is the way that repressed nerds who have spent too much time practicing express themselves. And I don't think it is any, but this is the core of my argument here. It's not that prog is better than punk. It's not that fuck punk rock, but it's that punk rock has a place in the canon of musical history as this raw expression of passion. And my argument is that prog is also that. Well, let me, let me ask you because you bring up a good point with this. Yes. Song, because uh, it's an extreme example. It's very, very long. Yes. And there's like to use your, what you said is the perfect way to describe it. You said there's so much going on. There's so much that's going to happen. It maybe it's just a value system thing, but I think that's exactly the detriment. You said it yourself. Like that's the reason for music. That's so difficult. That's too easy of an answer for me. It's easy to say, what is, why is this worth your while? Because it's big and there's so much there and it's flashy. Now, if you take a song like Transmission by Joy Division, it is the exact opposite in every way. It is short, it is incredibly repetitive, it is very simple. The singer can't even particularly sing, the parts are very easy. Now, to me, if, you, if I have to explain to you, why that song's worth your while, it's going to be a much more complex reason. I can't say that there's guitar acrobatics. I can't say that but there's I, I incredible musicians. But I wouldn't. I don't think those are the reasons to listen to that song. Like you shouldn't listen to the Gates of Delirium by Yes because there's a lot of shit going on. You should listen to it because it's a great piece of music and the reason it's a great piece of music is because the musicians who made it made something that was a reflection of how they felt and what they wanted and for them for those guys that happens to be a lot of shit sometimes you're a maximalist sometimes you're a minimalist i feel like life's short fill it with as many crazy guitar things as you can Well, maybe it's a problem on the side of the average i'll be the average listener in this case the uninformed listener because what you're saying makes perfect sense, but I can't hear it. And I think for me, that is completely obstructed by all the flash, by all mm. the wild guitar stuff, by the the time signatures. Whereas if you have a song that's just 
That can't confuse me. It's so simple that it can't confuse me where I have to go, well, there's got to be a better reason to listen to this because it's not that, 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 that necessarily on its face. And you have to let it wash over you. The, the thing that's great about it is something that is felt on a very deep gut level. It, In fact, I would say it is hard to explain why it is worth your time. You just have to experience it, it and understand an emotion. It. There are certain intangibles. That's why I always say there's certain intangibles that make something a hit. Or not a hit. This whole podcast is like chasing the definition, a loose definition of what is greatness, right? And music, and there's so many intangibles about that. To me, most of the great tunes you are pulled right in, whereas Prague kind of asks you to come along on a journey. And sometimes there's wizards and dwarves, and sometimes there's you know there's it, it is like literally more like a fantasy novel where and sure. you know what it all goes back to. Is is a, a divisive album? Is Led Zeppelin four in a way because Zeppelin were kind of giving us the rock and roll we wanted. Mm. Zeppelin one, yeah. it rocks. Zeppelin two, it rocks. Zeppelin Zeppelin three, it rocks acoustic. <laughs> and then Zeppelin four comes along, and we have Stairway to Heaven, which is a song that makes you wait a really long time till it rocks out, and when it does. It's very satisfying. I might even go to the point where I only like the part when it rocks. <laughs> and the rest yeah. of it, I'm kind of like, get me to the part it Passion. rocks. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're doing... But it is this. It is like a, a build. It's um, it's a commitment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then you have um, the Battle of Evermore, which is a, a, a duet about... Um, you know, fantasy. Yeah. You know, there, there's these fantasy elements which play. I, I, I feel is a much better song than Stairway. Personally. Well, it definitely, but, yeah, it know. definitely doesn't have that cliche element. Yeah. But, um, but this is, this is, there and was is a, it any wonder that I love rock and roll by Led Zeppelin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> total blues exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. This is really yeah. like clearing a lot of things up. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying is that there, there is definitely, I can, I can pinpoint a moment right. in music where even the same band right. sort of yeah. divides yeah. itself and I and would they ask different things of a. I line. would bet that the guy who sings lyrics and play the drums don't like this, and then the guy <laughs> who plays the mellotron and plays the guitar solos do. Like I feel like yeah. you can see the band splitting at that point too, because there's these different philosophies at play. At this point, they're both very dated philosophies, but you can see when this happens because the rock form. What they were expanding the rock form. And in like a way that sort of has consequences. I think that the at least the first wave of progressive rock bands, it came from a frustration with what with the sonic limitations of a lot of rock music at the time. You know what I mean? And I think like the Beatles, the Beatles were the most important pre-prog band i think because they just sort of demonstrated to a generation of musicians like oh you can kind of do whatever you want let me share a quick quote yeah that says it all um little steven van zandt who's basically devoted his life at this point to the furtherment of garage rock which is another episode how we feel about that but garage rock garage is a word that would describe the purest elements not punk garage and little Steven has a quote saying that Sgt. Pepper's ruined rock and roll in 1967. And I think what he meant was that that was the seed yeah. of progressive rock yeah. and symphonic rock. Right. I don't know. I guess it's on a spectrum because I love experimentalism in music. You joked like sometimes you hear these bands and it's like, can't you just like get your tuning right? Can't you just play? T-? And to me, 
the part of experimentalism that I like is going in that direction, is the direction of, I want you to be more out of tune. I want the notes to be more dissonant. I don't want you to play faster. I want you to play dronier. I want you to play in a wider spectrum. Right, but you want them to play with intention. You yes, want them to be the, out of tune. On yes. You don't want, uh, like yes. I was talking no, about guys true. who are out of tune because it's they just like, just I still right. can't be bothered right. because that's punk rock to do. I, well, you know what's really challenging? I mean, it, it's very challenging to play in these times. It's very challenging to play at these speeds. But you know what's really challenging? to make something that is not in tune sound amazing. When you hear something like James Chance, or you hear any of that like no wave stuff, which is just still punk rock, or even some television, yeah. things like that, it's like, I don't, when you listen to the beginning of um, Little Johnny Jewel, it's like, You're this like, sounds like this? something yeah. is wrong. It sounds yeah. like this was a mistake. The whole thing sounds like a mistake. And then you get to the end and you're like, why did I enjoy that? That's, to me, that is... Almost, and it's corny to say, but it's almost magical because you can explain why something very fast, very technical is exhilarating. That you can understand on paper why that's exhilarating. Now, somebody playing something monotonous or someone playing something wrong, and you leave with that feeling, that exhilaration, that is really interesting to me psychologically why that works. So I I half agree with you, and I half am gonna take a giant shit over what you just said. <laughs> um, I that because I agree. Like I love a lot of really harsh experimental music but i all of the harsh experimental weird music that i like tends to be performed by people who are much better musicians than james chance mm -hmm. or somebody like that we're like i like i love uh ascension era coltrane how do you feel about a band like sonic youth when i listen to sonic youth i feel frustrated because <laughs> i feel like it's it's cool i like it conceptually but for me, it's like if you took pop songs and and put them through this sort of like sort of out of tune experimental filter, but then it just sort of winds up being something that's like not experimental enough for me and not really pop enough for me at the same time. Like you just like describe like my perfect recipe. Yeah. Because that's the because I really <laughs> you love describe like exactly what I want. <laughs> that you know what? I like that tension and release of like why am I listening to absolute noise for a minute and a half? Because when the beautiful melody comes in, when these overtones come in, it is like you know, seeing the horizon. It's like the clouds parting. It's the yin and the yang. It's like, like the that. end of Rick Wakeman's solo at the in the gates of delirium. It's like that I moment I was where that's, to Sonic yeah, that's, yeah. I was very confused. Uh, what, what are your feelings on John Zorn? I like John Zorn a lot. Yeah, that's love John Zorn. Yeah. I love that side of, or someone like uh, Bill Frizzell, who it's like it's sort of jazz music. It's sort of beautiful. It's yeah. sometimes it's noise. Like one of my absolute favorite bands is Wilco, who get a rep of sometimes as being kind of sleepy. But Nels Klein is has a big prog influence. In and fact. they well, they were smart. Wilco was really smart in that they like it's almost like they delineated tasks to different people right, in the yes, band. Right. Where it's like okay, like we're gonna have the guy who is like the you know the modern the modern rock you know post Radiohead ish post country sort of songwriter guy and then we're gonna bring in the guy who is an unbelievable musician who and if you listen to Nels Klein's solo yeah. records I mean he yeah. is he is shredding yeah. he yeah. is as much of a guitarist yeah, as Steve the, Howe he's yes. the guitar fucking wizard and, absolutely and Nels Klein is I would is uh, you would probably agree with this Nels Klein is one of the ultimate examples of how you apply these concepts yeah. to to a pop song going back to like sonic youth i understand that sonic youth were very influential part of it is that they're not as technically able to execute a lot of those ideas you're talking about different people if sonic youth 
were more technical, they would not be Sonic Youth. Yes. Well, yeah. Like the aesthetics of Sonic Youth, and then are I specific, would like that more. But <laughs> maybe you would like it more. But I mean, like they, these guys, I, in my opinion, like at least half the band are virtuosic to me, yes. and and they're creative. And but you know, the virtuosity is not. By the it's not notes obvious. they play, it might be by the notes they don't play, yeah. or by the simple the the sound that they are able They're, to get. It's almost a little more like when you listen to ambient music or like even dance music. It's about like the the sound that they can crash sure. as opposed to the notes they are playing. If they were better, it wouldn't be as good. Yeah. I'm so sure <laughs> I of that. Agree. No, I'm and, so I, sure and I'm not that, really. You know. Yeah, that's I, my I, entire argument. I, I feel like I've now backed myself into a corner where I'm like should be arguing that where I, like I'm arguing that there should be shredding in Sonic Youth, and then I'd like it more. That is not the case. <laughs> that's not. But, I, I, I don't that's want. My problem is if something is classically better, greater, more advanced. It in as me as a listener, it loses something. Jamie, could you talk a little bit about like hardcore and because that's sort of more well, extreme. Well, that's, the, cons that's you know? the conservative thing that you described is the emergence of hardcore. Hardcore is a genre that I, the older I get, the less I like, and I didn't really like it that much because I, I think I think that Bad Brains and Black Flag are really interesting bands and uh, SST Records. Honestly, that's that's the label that was started by. The people in Black Flag, Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski, and represent a wave that is way less pop than The Clash and the Ramones. And whatever people thought punk was that was like alienating, is this and then came a wave that's actually kind of alienating to the point where most people do not want to listen to this. But a lot of the bands on that, like um, the Minutemen and Meat Puppets, display the same type of passion for, sure. for uh, technical playing. Except they don't know what the fuck they're doing, and it's punk. <laughs> the function of hardcore is a dance music for people who don't like to dance. You know what I mean? It is. It is. It is a uh, exercise in group aggression. It's not that different from metal. I was at a show at the Temple back in the day. Oh, Remember, yeah. there was a temple, the like punk a, temple, the punk temple, in, and in, uh, I Bensonhurst, and I wa and I saw like this huge fight break out because these two slam dancers were like spinning towards each other, and then like wound up clocking each other in the face. At the time, it had a similar punk rock energy. Remember, it's, it's, it seemed shockingly violent. I think the cool thing about this stuff is that the pendulum always swings back and like, mm. you know, you have hardcore, you have, and then you have Riot Girl, you know, and you have something that like sort of becomes, you have something that's alienating and alienating certain people. And then you have the people who feel alienated doing something inclusive. And then yeah. all the way up until today, like, like you have bands like, you know, Downtown Boys and Priests who are like, d just like democratizing what this is like even further, like making the barrier for entry even lower and like you're saying, like, yeah, then there's like this element of like violence and there's this element of like anti-violence or there even God forbid, there's like an element of racism in parts. And then there's the literal backslash of like there is an anti-racist movement and hardcore music. You would you say about dancing? It's like it's not really it's, it's like, dancing people for people right, can't dance. Can't dance. Yeah. And I think there's something ironic now because it's so hard to find any live rock music that's dance music you know like it's you can, like you used to be able to go see yeah. little richard or you could you yeah. could dance to rock music the stones it's very hard to find now mostly and weirdly enough going to punk shows is where you're gonna kind of maybe have the best shot now at dancing especially if it's something that has any of that reggae influence or sky influence post-punk influence, influence, post -punk yeah. influence is, is sometimes referred to as dance rock you all know? the all the hip groups now like all the, the the punk bands that are remotely like cool or hip like they actually sound more like ESG, yeah, or 
Tom Tom Club or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. They're fighting because you know, you know what to me. Priests have a real like blondie like vibe running through them too. There's like something poppy and something harsh about it. You know yeah. what to me? It's like there's something that's extinct in music. What is it? White male bullshit. <laughs> and I love metal. But that's a lot of metal. Oh yeah, I love punk, but that's a lot Absolutely. of punk. Absolutely, and you Prague, think it's gotta go? Prague is exclusively yeah. white male bullshit. I'd say. <laughs> Wait, Prague is exclusively. I mean, ha- ha- can you can you can we think of? Uh, is there are there any women in Prague? Um, <laughs> my friend. The um the keyboardist in Anecdoten. Um, ah uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. You you are one hundred percent right. And I I abs- think that's the thing. I don't. That's one of the things I don't like. Maybe the same thing might be true about punk. But to me, punk as a thesis does is is a little more uh, open to different types of people. Now, due to the academic nature that you'd have to have to play this music, is that there's something about this which is like very capable male in terms of their musicality and compositional things, enacting their boyhood fantasies in music. No, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, I'm you're that right. Goes, I mean, that yeah. goes in line with the type of thing where it's like, why is this not relevant? And it's because we're in 2019 and like, we're like, you know, looking back at all this stuff and like what makes it important, what makes it good. Sure. It's, yeah. and there, there, there's, there's absolutely an inherent class. I'm not even saying that's so bad no. to like, to kind of like do something that like is a intellectual exploration of some sort of childish elements. Not so bad, but that is kind of what it is well, all the time. All right. You should say I, I will for the childish fantasy thing. I mean, I, Unless you mean their fantasy of being in a prog band, like I don't really know. I, like, I don't prog know. Prog is like, full of these like very like kind of like adventure and like heroic and like fantasy moments. Like there's some in there's the some 70s L- prog, yes, yeah. So, yeah. The, how about this? The prog that sold records, the prog yeah. that was was really embraced. You yeah, know? although, but if you listen to yes, if you listen to yes, it is less of the like Tolkien esque narrative. Like that's honestly more Zeppelin that does that. Like sure. yeah, yes is singing to you about like cosmic spirits and the revealing. <laughs> science of god and a lot of shit that does that's nonsense that doesn't mean anything yeah. like is, i'm not a big lyrics guy i'll be honest or if i am going to listen to something for lyrics, lyrics by uh, neil degrasse tyson yeah like it's, it's really it's really out there and i will say like but, but it, even yeah. that that's such a long jump from at, i mean punk could not be further away what what are the clash singing about london yeah. what are the ramones singing about Rock away. Like, it's literally exactly where they are when they have the guitar in their hand. As you know, it's like it could not be more grounded in the immediate reality. But then, so that, this is kind of like the argument between um, literary fiction and genre fiction, where I agree with you that, like, yeah, like, prog bands, um, especially back in the day, are singing about all kinds of, like, weird, crazy, tripped out shit. And punk bands are singing about things that are happening to them in the moment in time. I don't think that that is necessarily artistically superior. It's maybe maybe at the time, especially when like rock music was not as personal and was not as unflinching and real. There is real value in people singing about um, about their real experiences and the Clash coming out and making real like angry working class music that talks about this stuff. And I will also say you were completely right. Like anybody. Whatever genre you're part of, whatever subculture you're part of, anything like that, you absolutely need to be able to look at it and reckon with, like, why, like, especially if you were, like, a bunch of fucking nerdy, straight, white, cis guys like us, it's important to be able to look at some things and ask why 
is everybody in this like me? And, you know, is there an inherent racism here? Is there inherent, uninherent elitism? And I would say for prog rock, especially like, I think um, and there is, especially there is a, an elitism, sort of the elitism that you see in classical music and a classism where you, it is definitely heavily skewed towards the kids who their parents could buy them a guitar and they didn't have to go get a job after school so they could sit in their room and practice a whole lot and stuff like that. Like, that is absolutely the case. My piping hot take that I have here is I, while there is obviously more, a lot more socially relevant punk rock, I don't really think it's necessarily that much more woke to play what is basically still just like bastardized fast r&b you know what i'm saying well, like like some well, the like, question is it's, that's the vehicle for the message the right. point i think that i think that the the short fast and immediate nature of punk is about what's the point what what are we here for what why are we doing this and because it doesn't take a long time to get to the point like when you when you count off a punk song and it's pretty fast you're going to be playing the chorus about 30 seconds later or 60 seconds yeah. later. So you're going to get to the point really quick. I think that forces us yeah. to sort of, um, and not, not to say that it all has a point, plenty of it's pointless. I don't think music has to have a point in the yeah. same way, but I'm saying it's like, what, why is this great? You know, it's not confusing either. It's very clear, yeah. you know, in the same way, it. in the same way. It's like now, you know, punk could be pretty white too, but to me, there's something more similar to like, why is this Motown song kick? Yes. And why does this punk song kick? Way more, way more similar because both things are like, we're going to let him have it. You know, it's like more, it's more emotional. I, you know? the, the point there that I take issue with the most, I think, is the argument that it is not emotional. Because I, I would say like for me, most of the songs that I put on there for you are songs that there is at least one point where I get like a little verklempt. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's at least some point where there is some sort of release or catharsis or when the last chorus comes in and it's got a bunch of crazy harmonies on it, but it really is like driving something home. You described it as saying like, this is music of young guys who are like sitting alone in their room versus music that prizes like, we're all going to get out on the street and like be together. You know, that's kind of like the opposing way to experience and to write these things. Do you think part of that influence is also like who is able to absorb it and how they're able to absorb sure. it? Oh yeah. And I, I feel like the fact that I, I would go to punk shows when I was a teenager and I was simultaneously struck by the feeling of community and the feeling of like the things that you go to a punk show for the, to, to feel like you're with a bunch of people sharing an experience. And also that I felt very like, this is not for me. I feel weird and on the outside. And I was always sort of like on the outside. I felt of the, the same pit. way. Yeah. What's funny. And it took me forever to get over that. I think that was my aversion to punk that I had to get over is that like, I kind of felt judged you know what I mean? I, I understand that. I felt the same way. Punk rock, post rock, um, or like, you know, the like post hardcore kind of stuff. It's all s still very much trapped in the prison of coolness. Of coolness. I don't know if that's true. I don't true. think punk's that cool. I don't think it's cool like that no, anymore. I, I, I think either. it has been. I can't speak for what it's like now because I have not been on the scene for a long time. When I was out there playing, it still, it still felt like 
a lot of people were still hung up on this idea of what constitutes cool, what is not cool, what is it is this ever changing thing that you're always chasing that we all spent a lot of time changing. And I guess I, I like the fact that even if prog rock can lack a certain self-awareness, like they are eminently not preoccupied with if they are cool yes. or not. Sure. Sure. I'll play devil's advocate and side with you on this. I think it goes even further. There's a whole sort of nitty gritty to punk rock in terms of ethics and in terms of who is a punk right. and all I'm these an things. outlaw right i'm a rebel right. how you we, identify yeah. we're we're anti-establishment right. and the the minute you get on a pedestal like that you become a hypocrite right. that's the that's the thesis so of that whole stuff is you're you're gonna be a hypocrite yeah. when you say stuff like that whereas these guys on the prog side of things they're not to be bothered no they're they're thinking about music you know what's interesting too is that there's a genre no one ever uses this term anymore People will describe something as art rock, like something like Sonic Youth or the mm. Velvet Underground might be described as art rock because it has a, a conceptual or a sort of experimental bend. But people used to use art rock to describe King Crimson, yeah. but then also the Velvet Underground and also Brian Eno and also yeah. Roxy Music and Sparks. The pushing the envelope element is what kept rock and roll sure. good a yeah. lot of times because i mean the Ram the ramones were being classic and pushing the envelope the buzzcocks were being classic and pushing the envelope that you can do both at the same time part of why the period of time from like 67 to 77 had such a flowering of so many different cool flavors of rock music is because it was during this period of time where nobody really knew what was happening. There were no expectation. The only real expectation were the Beatles, who were the most successful band and also all over the map musically. And so there was this period of time before, before anything really coalesced, before any sort of before that weight of history and mythology started to bear down and everything. Self-aware, yeah, version, where people yeah. really were just doing whatever they want. There was also, you know, a lot more cocaine uh, in the seventies, <laughs> and then and before people had done too much cocaine, so it was in that <laughs> the sweet spot, yeah, that really sweet spot where you just feel great about yourself and are not afraid of anything. You've illuminated something to me that you know. I think maybe I was just thinking about this in terms of strictly technical ability not having the passion so i see now what you're saying that no it there is a passion there's an emotion it's displayed in a different way and it's just as earnest i'm i'm with you on that but i think what one has and one lacks is a very directness even when you have a band like the talking heads who are bringing in all kinds of strange influences also, also or television let's be fair, still, like talking heads are actually like a, a, basically more towards prog than like i'll just well, look i'll they, just put it out there look, they played on the same bills as all these other bands yeah, at CBs, so but i'm just sort I'll, of I'll working put that with way, it. That, that's an example of a band that like came out in one scene and might be philosophically more the other thing, actually. I think the Talking Heads are arguably the only band that uh, really exemplifies both of these philosophies mm -hmm. that we're talking about the whole Very time, clearly. where they are unafraid to follow any idea. They are unafraid to do like weird sort of technical sounding stuff, and they're also unafraid. Because I do agree with you that a huge... I mean, punk rock, it does get right to the point. I think also uh, in, in, in punk, you're able to very quickly understand who you're listening to and what their personality is even if it's maybe contrived and i'm not going to argue that but but what they put out there is clear as you hear the clash yes you know who joe strummer is very quickly you hear the ramones you know exactly who these fucking guys are exactly what they're like whereas 
some of the fun, perhaps, of Prague is that that's totally obscured. I mean, the little bit I do know, something like Genesis, there's costumes, there's sets, there's masks. I mean, it's the point is I don't necessarily want you to feel my slice of life. I don't want you to feel who I am in like a direct, earnest, emotional way. To me, I find that it doesn't ground me as much when I listen to it. And it is, I mean, it is more comparable to reading like so, like a large complex novel in the sense that like there is there is a lot more of an investment in the hopes that when you get the payoff you're going to get a payoff yeah. that you sure. would not be able to get otherwise sure well punk um, when punk at its best a lot of times is like a slice of life or like a more like a, right. a yeah. personal like memoir or something like that where it's like here's like here's like a short tale you know a little a little episode you know which is good songwriting when it works, you know. The song that I liked the least on the playlist on the playlist that you gave me. I mean, like, look, I respect Patti Smith. <laughs> I understand how important she was, but like, I don't understand why this song, which is ten minutes of spoken word and occasional what like strumming, horses slash land of a thousand dances. Oh, I put that on oh, for a purpose. Man. I put that on that uh, purposefully oh, because an example of uh, punk being long winded. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was gonna say like I don't understand how this is less pretentious. I don't understand. No, Patty Smith is pretentious. I think that punk punk is pretentious. Oh, okay, all right, cool. I mean, I think that punk is all right, pretentious. Awesome podcast like, over. <laughs> I mean, she is a a, a high minded you know, art person. Oh yeah. And uh, she well, is yes. admittedly like, but she's also from working class, New Jersey. It's like two things rubbing up against each other. You might study Rimbaud or something like that. And then also have the three chord Johnny B. Yeah. And talk about the opposite of what you had mentioned before. It doesn't adhere to like any form, like the stuff, especially someone like Patty Smith, it goes so outside of what is necessarily expected of you, especially at the time. It's like, it's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. The, the whole, there's a whole thread in punk. It's like, you can, Start a band, have a name. You can change your last name to Ramon. You can go from, you can leave your hometown and become a different person. You can start a different world for yourself. I mean, that's there's a pretentious element to that because you're not. But also an empowering know I mean? one. Yeah, exa- I mean, that's, that's exactly. You have to take a big swing. And you said yourself, like, you're right. Prague takes a really big swing in terms of all the quantifiable stuff. I think punk rock takes the biggest swing when it's done right in terms of that empowerment, Identity in terms politics, of that, po- right, that power, nature. Yeah, it, it does swing really big in that way. Maybe not in the chords, but in that. I mean, I will say in terms of making music that is empowering. Uh, if you guys don't think Prague is empowering, you've clearly never successfully executed a sweep arpeggio because <laughs> there is That's no feeling uh-huh. like that. No, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that there is a similar mechanism at play in Prague Rock of creating a world of creating a like new world and a new identity that's not you chris squire was probably just like a quiet nerdy guy who sang in a choir and like didn't really get out there much somebody is in a punk band projecting a character and a world they're doing the same thing it's in a different way right but the world that's projected in Prague is somewhere that i can't go whether it's emotionally or physically. Whereas punk rock, I feel like you can go there easily 
for most listeners. Most people don't like either of these things. No, no, that's yeah, true. We're still like, no, you're one right. thing yeah, we right. can all hold you're hands right. about yeah. is that you're right. other people don't really like no. this. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, don't. they don't. If we were in the 70s, the prog guys would have been bullying the punk guys. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think prog guys ever had that kind of upper body strength. <laughs> Evan, why don't you tell people where they can uh, hear your podcast? Sure. By the time this drops, uh, our podcast, our first episode should be out. We are contesting wrestling. You will find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, wherever fine pods are casted. And um, yeah, it is a podcast in which two of my oldest and closest friends, one of whom is a professional wrestler, the other who, the other of whom is a philosophy professor who love wrestling, they try to get me to enjoy professional wrestling, an art form that I like even less than you like progressive rock, John. <laughs> uh, a lot of similarities is what we're doing here something, today. <laughs> almost everything you have said about Prague is something I have said about, about progressive These wrestling. wrestling are so my, long-winded. Oh, my God. They talk forever. It's, it's, so, it's such a high bar of entry because you got to spend so much time in the gym. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, find us uh, contesting wrestling. And then if you want to read my writings and ramblings, go to Evan Burke, E V A N B U R K E dot biz, so I can raise enough money to kill the Evan Burke who has dot com and take it from him. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast, Evan. Thank you. I had a great time. I love this. Thank you for listening to What Is Goat. I'm John Stephanopoulos. I'm Jamie Fry. Rock and roll.